Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. The Metropolitan Man by Alexander Wales, read by Eniash Brodsky. A quick personal note before we begin. I've had another short story published. It can be found in the March-April 2017 issue of Analog Magazine. The magazine just hit newsstands yesterday and should be available for approximately two months. Thanks. Chapter 8 Peeling Back the Veil Jimmy Olsen sat at the bar, gulping back his fourth beer. It was possible to forget, for brief moments. Lois Lane had come over to him, shaking slightly, and said that they needed to take a trip into the country. He'd grabbed his camera and plenty of film, then raced downstairs where he'd had to wait in the car for nearly ten minutes while Lois made some calls and tried to figure out where exactly they were going. Lois drove. Her knuckles were nearly white on the steering wheel. Where are we headed? Asked Jimmy. A farmhouse near Bot's Pond. Superman found the kids. Thank God that's over. Lois had shot him a look that shut him up for the rest of the trip. There were two cop cars outside the place when they arrived. The kidnappers had been taken away an hour ago, but he and Lois were the first reporters on the scene. Jimmy would have been fine just getting a shot of the farmhouse with the cop cars in front of it, but Lois had loudly insisted to the police that Superman himself had sent them to get pictures of the interior so they could document the actual crime scene. Jimmy had no idea whether that was true or not, but the police seemed to believe her. He'd nearly thrown up when he'd seen the body parts stacked like cordwood. Lois had just frowned and stared at the scene with an intensity that scared him. Jimmy looked up from his beer the second time he was tapped on the shoulder. Hi, said a cute redhead in a willowy dress. She held out her hand towards him. I'm Eleanor. Jimmy, he replied. Her handshake was firm. Our hair matches. She said with a laugh. Rough day at the office? She raised her eyebrows and bit her lip like she couldn't wait for his answer. I'm a photographer. He'd wanted to continue, to explain the things he'd seen, but couldn't find the words. And on second thought, maybe it was better not to inflict that on anyone. The worst of the photographs wouldn't make it to print. Perry would pick out something that was suggestive of horror, but didn't actually show anything. To Jimmy, it was almost worse to only catch a glimpse. He was sure that he would be a better photographer if he could understand why the small puddle of blood on the edge of the kitchen table was somehow worse than directly seeing the dismembered corpse. What kind of photographer? I work for the newspaper. For the Daily Planet. He paused. There had to be something that he could say that wouldn't ruin her evening. You know that picture of Lois Lane standing next to Superman? I took that. Eleanor placed a hand on his arm. Oh, I read the Daily Planet every day. I wonder how many of your pictures I've seen. She had an easy, pleasant smile, and Jimmy slowly began to take notice of her. Lots, probably. People look at the bylines, not the photo credit. Most of them probably don't even look at the bylines. Clark Kent and Lois Lane, right? Do you work with them? Yeah. Say, what does Clark Kent look like? I've seen pictures of Lois, obviously, but I've sometimes read the name of Clark Kent and wondered what he was like. Clark? 
Jimmy swallowed down the last of his beer and signaled for another. He's a big guy. Sort of a hunched over gorilla. Eleanor laughed. <laughs> she was still touching his arm. Jimmy felt his cheeks warming, and it wasn't just the alcohol. That's not at all what I pictured him like. In my head, he was tall and upright, very dapper, like Clark Gable. No, not like that at all. Between Eleanor's questions, the beer, and the images from the farmhouse swimming around his brain, Jimmy was beginning to feel out of sorts. Where's he from? What? He'd been distracted by her eyes. Clark Kent, is he from the city or somewhere else? I pictured somewhere on the East Coast. Kansas. Really? Her eyes lit up. I'm from Kansas, too. Which part? Smallville. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. Eleanor looked over at the clock above the bar. Well, I have to go, but it was nice talking to you. You're not staying? Jimmy tried to keep the hurt from his voice. You didn't seem all that interested in talking to me, said Eleanor with a frown. She gestured towards his beer. And I don't know how many of those you've had, but I think it's probably been too many. Today's the worst day of my life. Worst so far, anyway. There might be other days that are even worse than this one. I've got a feeling that's the case. I just need someone to be by me. Please? She seemed about to brush him off, to offer some excuse and leave, but she must have seen something in his face, because she just nodded and stayed with him. They got to talking, actually talking, and eventually Jimmy felt like the world wasn't about to come crashing down on him. Eleanor had a certain brightness to her that made the world seem less grim. She'd come to the bar alone, and after an hour had passed, he'd offered to walk her home. When they got to her place, she must have sensed how desperately he wanted not to go back to his cold, cramped apartment. She invited him up. Her apartment was just as small as his was. He sat on her bed while she put on a kettle of tea, and that was when he started crying. He felt embarrassed and ashamed, but she sat down next to him, ran her fingers through his hair, and made comforting noises. They laid down side by side on her bed. She didn't seem surprised or upset. It must have been around two in the morning that she started telling him about her father. He'd come home from the Great War with shell shock and killed himself with a shotgun when she was six. Jimmy didn't know how to respond to that. He hoped it was enough that he had listened. Eventually, she fell asleep, and he followed suit soon after. In the morning, he thought that there would be sheepish looks and awkward goodbyes, but she'd made them breakfast in her tiny kitchen and didn't show an ounce of shame. I need to change out of these clothes and get dressed for work. Her voice was soft and gentle. But if you ever need someone to talk to, you know where I live. There's a communal telephone on this floor. I can give you the number. I'd like that. I never even asked what you do. We talked about me too much. I feel like a lout. Eleanor looked at him for a moment, before answering. I work for a private detective agency, and I really do need to get going. I'm sorry. Jimmy said his goodbyes and left for the Daily Planet. He felt better, more at peace with what he'd seen the day before. He couldn't imagine spending that night alone. Are you okay? Asked Clark. Of course he got better right after the biggest news story since the bombings was already on the page. 
It was typical of him. Peachy. Lois had barely slept the night before. She would have gotten drunk, but she'd done some thinking about alcohol on the ride out to the farmhouse. She'd become too entangled with Superman for loose lips. So far, she'd been making up for it by smoking more, but that didn't seem to be helping her nerves at all. Sorry I wasn't here. Sorry you had to see that. See what? The body. The blood. I read your article and looked at Jimmy's photos. The ones that didn't make it to print? It was gruesome. Lois waved her hand. That was nothing. I mean, not nothing, but there are hundreds of millions of children in the world, and you've got to figure that hundreds of them die every day, right? Maybe thousands? Lots of little girls get raped. Lots of little boys get chopped up. The only reason this is front-page news is that they were rich and white with a famous father, and because Superman didn't quite get there in time. Clark watched her. She tried to concentrate on her typewriter, but she couldn't even remember what she was supposed to be typing up. Perry told me that Superman talked to you. What exactly did he say? That's between me and Superman. Lois was being too harsh with Clark, she could tell, but it would have taken more effort than she was willing to spend to make her words come out nice. Lois, if you need someone to talk to, I'm here for you. And I don't mean any offense, but it seems like you've got something you need to get out. Possibly. She stopped for a moment to think through her wording. Superman had come to her, of all the people in the world, to get things off his chest. And that meant she was important to him. She had to assume that he was listening and watching, so talking about Superman became a matter of framing him in the best possible light. In general terms, he explained to me that being Superman can be difficult sometimes. There. That didn't sound so bad as it really was. He said that he can't do everything. And that upset you? Clark had a look of serious and heartfelt concern, like she were some delicate doll that he was worried would break under stress. She hated that. She'd had more adventures in her life so far than Clark Kent could ever dream of, and to him, it was like she was made of glass. It made me think about how right he is. Lois, look, I don't know what it was he said, but I'm sure he didn't mean to upset you. Lois nodded. I agree. It wasn't his intent. But he opened my eyes up, and if my reaction to that is to be upset with the world, then so be it. Clark kept staring at her, and she kept avoiding his eyes. Do you know what I think? Lois didn't answer, because she wasn't confident that she could speak without snapping at him. My pa was in prison for a while. I told you that. And for a long time, he never really talked about it, but I knew it was bad. And I think that maybe talking about it would have made it less bad for him. You know? You're saying I should talk to you? No. I'm saying that maybe whatever Superman said to you, he just said because he was having a bad day. Maybe he just needed someone to talk to. And talking to you made whatever difficulties he was having easier to bear. Lois found this far from comforting. Superman was holding back in nearly everything he did. He didn't hurt people, and certainly didn't kill people. He could fly at twenty times the speed of sound, maybe even more, but he almost never did. He worked quickly and efficiently towards his objectives, and most of the time if you showed up after he'd gone, there'd hardly be any evidence that he was there at all. Everyone thought that was just who Superman was. 
He was so totally and completely in control of himself that he would never do anything truly wrong. He firmly followed the doctrine of unambiguous goods. It wasn't true, though. People thought that Superman did everything effortlessly, and maybe as far as the physical realm went, that was true. Inside his head, though, he wasn't much more than a man. She'd heard that Superman had walked into Calhoun's bar and let himself be hit in the face with a gob of spit. She'd believed that Superman had been unbothered by that, but now it was clear that Superman was human enough to have felt something there. Superman's ideals weren't innate to him. They took conscious effort on his part. And what would happen when Superman had a day so bad that he decided that his ideals weren't worth keeping? Picture a circle. Next, picture a point outside that circle. Call it O. Draw a line from that point such that it pierces the circle in two places, a second, and call those two points A and B. Draw another line originating from O so that it intersects the edge of the circle in only one place, a tangent, and call that point C. The second tangent theorem states that OA times OB is equal to OC squared. If the circle is Earth and the point outside it is Superman, then that tangent defines how far Superman can see before his vision starts to clip the crust of the Earth. To find that distance, take the diameter of the Earth, roughly 8,000 miles, plus Superman's distance from the Earth, rarely seen to be more than 10 miles, then multiply that by Superman's distance from the Earth, then take the square root of that. The result was 280 miles, the distance that Superman could see to the geometric horizon from the height that he stayed within 99% of the time. There were 1,127 miles between Smallville, Kansas and Metropolis, New York. Of course, Superman had X-ray vision, but that was stopped by lead. Lex Luthor had consulted a book of geological science and found that the estimated abundance of lead in the Earth's crust was one thousandth of one percent, which meant that for every mile of Earth that Superman looked through, he was looking through 16 millimeters of lead. Based on Lex's calculations, it was safe to assume that it only took a centimeter of lead to stop Superman's X-ray vision. The upshot was that Superman could not see what went on in Smallville unless he specifically moved himself into a position to do so. It allowed for a comparatively enormous amount of breathing room. It was imperative that he get someone there as quickly as possible. What records he could pull showed that Clark Kent had at least existed on paper, and a quick call done through layers of intermediaries confirmed that the Smallville ledger had once employed him, or at least claimed to have employed him. Lex was starting to once again doubt that Superman was an alien, since it very much seemed that Clark Kent's backstory was solid. But he kept digging all the same. Learning about the existence of Clark Kent had produced numerous threads to pull on. He needed someone in Smallville, but the constraints on hiring were immense. He needed someone intelligent, prone to following orders, trained in espionage, and willing to go into deep cover for an extended period of time. He would need to instruct them to take precautions above and beyond what any covert operation had required in the history of spycraft, 
a constant cover that remained unbroken for weeks or even months at a time. The list of people that fit that bill was very, very short. Lex was in the middle of trying to figure out whether it would be possible to put someone in deep cover and still keep them in the dark about the connection between Clark Kent and Superman when the doorbell rang. A few minutes later, Mercy stood in the doorway of the study. Miss Lane is here, requesting a moment of your time. Send her in, said Lex. She looked different, though Lex couldn't say exactly how. Did she know that Superman was Clark Kent? If so, it wasn't obvious from her face. Lex was wearing the outermost layer of his personas, the one where he was a simple enthusiast and advocate for Superman with no knowledge of the alien he wouldn't willingly share with the world. He mentally prepared himself for Lois Lane to peel back the personas one at a time. He'd been careful, but part of being careful was preparing for your carefulness to fail you. He had stories prepared that would justify his actions. Miss Lane, Lex said with a smile. Mr. Luther. He pinpointed what was different about her. She was tense. I called your office and they said you were here. The businesses mostly run themselves. I have a knack for hiring competent people, and that's left me with the free time to pursue my passions. Superman. Lois began to dig a pencil and notepad from her purse. Just so. I've read your proposals. What would you do if you were Superman? She began writing in the notepad. A common question. Lex was about to continue on when Lois turned her notepad around to face him. It said... Can Superman be stopped? Lex's eyes moved to the door to make sure it was closed. They were encased in a hidden layer of lead. Lois had been over when the shielding was being installed and knew they were behind it. She was being cautious. A common enough question, repeated Lex. For many, it's the perfect fantasy. People talk about setting foot on the surface of the moon, or going to the Olympics and dominating in every sport. They talk about standing up to their various oppressors. My companies have been picking up quite a few Jewish immigrants from Germany of late, and I feel that many of them would like nothing better than to fly down and put a hole in Hitler's face. He turned to look at her. Superman can't be stopped. It's frightening to think what might happen if his power fell into the hands of someone without such a strong moral compass. For myself, I'm not sure that I would want the power. I'd use it for good as best I could, I suppose. No flashy displays, no material wealth, just the betterment of mankind. I was wondering whether you could help me, said Lois, pointing to her notepad where the words were written. Lex watched her carefully. Lois Lane could easily be working for Superman. Even if she didn't know that he was Clark Kent, she could have been sent in to get some admission of guilt. He couldn't trust her. But perhaps he didn't have to. Help you with what? He asked, not missing a beat. I've written two books. One on the Radium Girls and another on the role of women in the World War. I know. Lex pointed to his bookshelf. I've read them. Lois seemed momentarily taken aback by this, but of course he had read them. He'd read the Daily Planet every single day for the past year, and after he'd learned that Clark Kent was Superman, he'd gone and read every issue again. 
Earlier this morning, when he'd learned that Clark Kent had once written for the Smallville Ledger, he'd immediately started thinking up possible methods of getting back issues of it to his home or office without immediately allowing Superman to connect the dots. My new book will be about Superman, said Lois as she wrote in her notebook. And as you and I have something of a working relationship, I was wondering whether you would be willing to contribute. She flipped the notebook towards him again. S is losing faith in us. What sort of contribution? You're the preeminent scholar of him, and one of the greatest examples that his efforts to be a symbol actually work. Lois pointed at the notepad and raised her eyebrows. All Lex could think was that it was a trap. She would have to be a masterful liar for that to be true, but that was certainly possible. If he'd been willing to admit that Superman was using the disguise of Clark Kent and lying through his teeth to everyone he interacted with on any given day, then surely he had to admit that the same might be true of the woman that sat next to him every day. The idea of Lois Lane turned to his side was seductive, though. And though he was well aware that the best traps didn't look like traps until they'd been sprung, it truly didn't look like a trap. I'm afraid I'm a busy man, though I admit that sharing my thoughts on Superman with a wider audience appeals to me. What precisely would be the nature of this arrangement? Lois wrote in the notebook, Superman could surely hear that if he was listening. Lex couldn't decide whether he was being too paranoid in thinking that Superman would find it suspicious. I'd like you to write two chapters. They can be short. There will be a chapter on the science that I'd like you to contribute to, and another chapter on how he's changed the people of the city. She held up the notepad again. S is more human than he lets on. Might turn on us. Does that sound reasonable? Let me think on it for a moment. In the meantime, feel free to peruse my library. I'd be happy to give you any book that you have an interest in. Give me five minutes, by the clock? Lois looked unhappy, but she nodded all the same. Lex closed his eyes, relaxed his body, and thought. There was too much unknown information. He could make all sorts of educated guesses about what Lois Lane and Superman knew, but there was so little information available that these guesses were barely worth anything. There were dozens of configurations of truth which fit the data as he sought and in some of those possible worlds, it would be correct to allow himself a partnership with Lois Lane, and in others, it would throw not just his operations, but the fate of the entire planet into jeopardy. Lex Luthor had set himself up as a follower of Superman, highly visible and shining like a beacon. If Superman really was losing his faith in humanity, what would happen if he learned that Lex Luthor was responsible for the deaths of dozens? Never mind that it had been the correct decision, given the information he'd had available at the time. He looked to Lois. If she were telling the truth, why had she chosen to confide in him? Well, he was a billionaire with an active interest in the betterment of humanity, the premier scholar on everything related to Superman, and likely one of the few people she knew who had a room lined with lead and the sense not to immediately blurt out a strangled WHAT when shown a secret message. On top of that, they had an established relationship. It made a certain sort of sense. 
The more he thought about it, the more he thought it plausible that she really had come to him in good faith. He walked over to her and took the notepad and pencil from her hands. She had a hopeful look. I've decided I'll do my best to help. Lex pointed to where she'd written, might turn on us, then began to write something of his own. I'm a busy man, but a partnership could benefit us both. He turned the notepad toward her. Tell me everything you think you know about Superman. I have a number of things coming up in the near future, so it would be good to get this done quickly. Agreed. Lois grabbed the notepad from him. I should warn you that I don't have a publisher lined up just yet, but it shouldn't be a particularly hard sell. He can't know I'm telling you. A problem to be dealt with in due time. If you're free tomorrow, we could meet here. There are a few things that I'd like to think over first. I'll try to have some initial thoughts ready. Lois watched him for a moment, then nodded. End first half of chapter 8 Thank you to the following people. Kate Baker, reading Mercy Graves. Lois Lane, by Anonymous. Superman and Clark Kent, by Nathan Bowman. Jay Diani. Eleanor, by Becca Hatcher. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the second half of Chapter 8.